time where people seem uh, to get hopeless. And I've been thinking about this subject, uh, hope in Jesus, hope in the Lord. And uh, I told uh, Chris and Alice, I said, don't you worry about Mila. It don't bother me. Chip babies don't bother me. I've learned how to get louder than they are, all right? Hey, so it doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I love to hear babies cry, don't you? That tells me if a church is uh, reaching them from the babies all the way up uh, to uh, senior adults. Yes, yes, yes. But you know what? Parents seem to be overwhelmed today. Let's be honest. Parents seem to be overwhelmed. And students, uh, high school students, teenagers seem to be stressed and depressed. Many of them are bored, just bored. You know what I'm talking about, bored. And then uh, on top of that, uh, there are, you know, Christians who seem unhappy, unfulfilled. Is there anybody here today that you've been unhappy? Truth be known that deep down inside you feel a, a sense of unfulfillment in your life. And so this is the time of the year where we need hope. And that's the reason I believe the Lord's placed the message on my heart today. Uh, there's hope for you. That's the title of the message. There's hope for you today. And by the way, speaking of hope and speaking of getting discouraged, I read just the other day where the average family spends about $1,000 a year for Christmas gifts. And it takes the average family about 10 months to pay back the amount that was borrowed for Christmas giving. We're talking about hope. We're talking about discouragement. And so, and by the way, this, uh, that was USA Today put out that article. But do you know, in addition to that, uh, it said that the 25% of the gift cards that we get, we end up giving them away to somebody else. Did you know that? 25% of the gift cards are given to somebody. You get one, and then you give it to somebody else. But speaking of that, I heard, and discouragement, I heard about a mama that said she didn't know whether she should be concerned about uh, her older son or younger son. Somebody said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, my younger son locked me out of my bedroom and uh, she said, but my older son showed me how to pick the lock. I don't know if I should have been more concerned my older child or my younger child. There's hope for you today. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Titus. Titus, and we're going to start in chapter 3. So take your Bibles, turn to chapter 3 of the book of Titus. There's hope for you. And here's where we're going today in our study together, our time together. And it's going to be, there are three reasons why you and I ought to have hope today. And I felt led of the Lord this week as I was studying and preparing to turn to the book of Titus. Now, as you're turning to the book of Titus, uh, you'll find it after 2 Timothy. And uh, there's not a lot written about this uh, man named Titus other than he was a Greek. And we know that he was one of Paul's son in the Lord. Now, listen, I like this about Titus. Titus was a faithful man, and I believe God's looking for some faithful men today, don't you? I want to be a faithful man of God. I love the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 7. The just man walketh in integrity, and his children should be blessed after him. And in fact, uh, I believe it's in Proverbs 17, and verse 6, the scripture teaches, as Solomon wrote, uh, the glory of children are their fathers. Being a man of integrity is very important. Titus was a man of integrity. And in other words, Paul the Apostle 
appointed him. You know he had to be a man of integrity, a one who would be a team player, one who could be entrusted uh, the privilege of serving and ministry. Do you know what Titus' task was? He was appointed to ordain and to select leaders in the church where he was located, namely in Crete. But do you know this else about Titus? Titus evidently had some not only uh, moral integrity, but some financial responsibility. That's right. Titus was taken by the Apostle Paul and selected and appointed to the church of Corinth. Why? To oversee an offering. I'll just give you a little background about this man named Titus. And uh, you probably have not read about this. Maybe you have. But Titus was a faithful man. He was a spirit-filled man. Not perfect, mind you. But yet, that's the background on this book called Titus. Again, Paul is uh, selecting him. Paul uh, had confidence in this man called Titus. Brother and sister, this is very important this modern day in our churches to have men of God and women of God who will be faithful to the Lord, who will be uh, responsible to the Lord, who will be committed to the Lord. Can I get an amen right there? That's a good place to say amen right there. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but this is very vital when it comes to false teaching. Uh, Paul the Apostle appointed Titus to refute slash to debunk the false teaching in his day. And there were some in his day, there's some in our day. And that's why we're studying on Sunday night uh, the subject of apologetics, how to defend your faith. We've been talking about the existence of God. We've been talking about not only that, but we've been talking about other issues, creation versus evolution. We've been talking about how do you answer people this day and time. And I believe this is a very important subject. For example, what about the subject of uh, homosexuality? How would you address this biblically? And we've been dealing with this subject, and we've been interacting on this subject. Where did dinosaurs come? Where did they go? We've been talking about that. Uh, in addition to that, we've been dealing with uh, uh, how to defend your faith about creation and uh, also uh, what the Scripture teaches in regards to that. Anyway, I could go on about that, but we've got a lot more to cover, and I'm convinced you and I need to learn how to defend what we believe. Not argue, mind you, but rightly divide the word of truth. And so I want to encourage you to come on Sunday night and study your Bible, come on Wednesday night. It, it affords you the opportunity to grow spiritually. And that's my goal when we gather together on Sunday morning that we'd not just come to be entertained, but rather we'd come to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, be built up in the Word of God, be able to be strong in the Lord, be able to share our faith with others, and living in a pluralistic uh, postmodern mindset that we would, uh, uh, again, be able, as Paul said, rightly divide the Word of truth. And so I appreciate you coming every Sunday. I look forward to our time together to break... Uh, open the Word of God. Here's where we're going today in the message. We're going three places, three reasons why you and I ought to have hope today. Number one is because God gave His greatest gift of all. I'll bring this on the screen in a moment. Don't worry. And so He gave His greatest gift of all. What was that gift? Eternal life and abundant life. We'll see that in a moment in Titus chapter 3. But there's a second reason you and I ought to have hope today. It's because God doesn't lie. God keeps his promises, hallelujah. And that's in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. We'll see that in a moment. And then number three, there's a third reason you and I ought to be encouraged. We ought to have hope today. Why? Because does not only God give his greatest gift, 
And not only does God keep his promises, but number three, he's promised Jesus will indeed come again. We'll find that in chapter 2. I love this word hope. It's in the New Testament context of elpis. It means confident expectation. It doesn't mean maybe so like we would say. And let me just draw your attention to several verses that allude to this word called hope. First of all, I told you to turn to Titus 3, but let's go back to Titus, Titus chapter 1. Look at Titus chapter 1. Here's one of our texts, and if you'd like to stand as read the Word of God, you can do so right now. Titus chapter 1, zero in in verse number uh, 1. And we'll read verse 1 and 2. And Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant, doulos, of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Let me pause there. That word elect is a big word. It's electos. It means to pick out, to choose. Certainly, God has chosen Israel and God has chosen the church. Not being the same, mind you, but being two different distinctives, this Israel and the church. And elect, also, I won't preach the whole message on elect. Hold on. Just, I'll allude to a couple of things or mention a couple of things. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. They're like railroad tracks. And you try to figure out the sovereignty of God and you'll, uh, you'll have a long time trying to figure that out. But I do not believe in the teaching today that teaches uh, that we don't need to evangelize because of God's uh, appointed some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. I believe the Lord gives us a free choice. Man has a free moral agent. And therefore, I believe in the, uh, the uh, unlimited atonement view. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, I'll be glad to talk with you about that. But anyway, the elect. So I just wanted to allude to that word and mention that. Notice what else he says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. The word acknowledging there, do you know what it is? It's the word epigenosin. And let me say this real quick. Parents, we want our children to be super saints immediately, but first comes knowledge, then comes experience, then comes wisdom. We don't want them to go through experience. We want them to go from knowledge, teach them right from wrong, and go right to wisdom. Unfortunately, experience has to happen not only with children, but adults too. We know the truth. We know the knowledge. The Word of God, gnoso, is the word knowledge. But sometimes we got to experience things before we learn wisdom. And that is the old phrase we learn by the school of hard knocks. And yet that's the way often we learn. Now, keep reading verse 2. In hope of eternal life. See that word hope? I love that. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Oh, I could shout right there. Hallelujah. In hope of eternal life that God cannot lie. Promise before the world began. Now, skip over to chapter 2. Let me just mention a couple of verses, and then we'll pray together. Verse 13. I'll come back to verse 11 through 14, but look at verse 13. I'm just simply zeroing in on the word hope here. Every chapter in the book of Titus has a reference to the word hope. And I hope you have hope today, hope in the Lord. The title of the message is Hope in Jesus. Verse 13 of chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, I'll tell you, there's nothing else that brings me hope like knowing the Lord is coming again, knowing that this isn't the end. Regardless of what the circumstances may uh, seem and our world, the chaotic, confused state that we see every day yet knowing the Lord is coming again and he's in control brings hope to my heart now then check out chapter 3 and verse 7 
check it out. Look at this. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love that word heirs. It's the word kleromeo, which means possess, to possess. Hope of eternal life. And again, that word hope is confident expectation. Father, thank you now. Uh, Lord, you know where we're at uh, today. You, uh, I didn't know it was going to be raining and cold today, Father, but you did, even when you put this message on my heart. And I thank you, Lord, for the hope you bring in my heart. Lord God, you, nobody else encourages me like you do. I thank you, Father, so much for your encouragement and for the hope you bring uh, in every heart as we trust you. Lord, I'm convinced today there's many that feel hopeless or helpless or lonely like many uh, uh, Lord senior adults feeling lonely and empty I pray today you'll fill that void with your peace and your power and your presence and I'm asking father the things that we can't control we put them in your control God the people that we cannot control we put it in your control and we pray now for our hearts to be at peace with you and to rest in you Lord I need rest in you I'm convinced others need rest in you. And so we thank you now for what you're going to do this very day. Be glorified, we pray. Cleanse my heart of every sin. And I thank you now for those that have gathered. I praise you. You said your word, like the rain, would not return unto you void or empty. And so, Lord, we don't see the evidences often, the outward appearances, but we trust by faith that your word is alive and you will accomplish everything you desire. And when all said and done, we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. Here's where we're going in the message today. Number one, there's hope because God gave the greatest gift of all, eternal life and abundant life. Go back to chapter 3 of the book of Titus, okay? Go back to chapter 3 of the book of Titus. Keep your Bibles open because you notice when we uh, share a message, we try to use the Scripture, take the Word of God, and let the Word of God speak. Not my opinion, but rather not reading into the Scripture. We call that uh, eisegesis, but exegesis means drawing out of the Scripture. Chapter 3, verses, uh, notice verse 1 through verse 7. Let's read it together. Put them in mind to be subject. But wait a minute, let me pause for a moment before I go any further to tell you the message that Titus uh, was to give to the church uh, of Crete and others who were appointed to the church was this. First, he was told uh, that he was to appoint faithful men who would be qualified, who would be responsible to serve in leadership, servant leadership capacity in the church. And brother, we need that today. Yes, we do. And I thank God for our men and women who serve the Lord at New Rocky Creek. But wait a minute. He said more. He said, for example, in chapter 2, that the older women ought to learn how to teach the younger women and teach them how to love their husbands, and teach them how to uh, orchestrate and administrate and supervise the home with children, and all the demands of the responsibilities of being a mom slash a Christian mom. But in addition to that, he said dads, and he said older men ought to be teaching the younger men. Y'all listen to me. At New Rock Creek, I'll be honest with you, I thank God what I see, uh, older men pouring into younger men, but I'll be honest with you, I think, uh, I think uh, we could uh, use a, a, a more challenging in that area too. Younger men, not just speaking to them and saying hello, but, but praying with them and encouraging them and sending them a text message every once in a while, picking up the phone and calling them every once in a while, and uh, sending them a letter in the mail. Ladies doing the same thing. 
older ladies, with younger ladies, uh, those who are more mature, those who are older in the Lord. Boy, there's a great need right here for older men pouring into younger men, mentoring, going beside, going before, and going behind, encouraging, enlarging, and evaluating that great role that the Lord has given us. And so I don't know if you have anybody right now in your life you're mentoring, but I want to encourage you today and challenge you today, uh, if you don't have somebody, pray and ask God to put somebody on your heart that you can mentor them spiritually. Hello, it's all right to have friendship with them, but be intentional about pouring in them spiritually, teaching them to pray, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to walk with God, teaching them how to confess their sin, teaching them how to be spirit-filled, teaching them how to love, teaching them how to forgive, teaching them how to evangelize, how to witness, how to share their faith. My, uh, teaching them how to be a godly husband, teaching them how to be a godly wife, teaching them how to be a godly dad and a godly mom, teaching them how to be accountable and, uh, oh my, building a good testimony of legacy that they can lay behind. So, Number one, uh, let's go back to chapter 3. I wanted to read that. I wanted to give you a little background before we read it because uh, probably, I don't know if you've read Titus lately, but anyway, look in chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates to be ready to give or to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Hold your thought right there. Pause. Put your finger right there. We'll pick up in verse 3 in a moment. But let me say this. Because today we are under the authority of the government. Wait a minute. With one exception. What is the exception? The exception is Acts chapter 5 verse 20, uh, 29. We ought to obey God rather than men. When the, uh, even the government uh, contradicts the word of God, then we have the liberty and freedom under our conscience, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to respectfully disagree and obey the Lord rather than obey men. However, on the other hand, you can read Romans chapter 13. God has placed uh, those in authority over us, not only civilly and not only in our community, the school educationally and spiritually, but also uh, in other areas for our protection. Okay, that's what Paul is saying to Titus to teach these things, all right, to the younger generation and the older generation as well, the blessings of God. Wait a minute, let me just stop right there. I'll tell you what we have problem today. We got problem with authority, period. And the reason a lot of, I'm just telling you my honest opinion, the reason a lot of people are going to come to church, you know why? They don't want to come under authority. They don't want to be under any accountability. They want to do their own thing. I got news for you. We're going to be accountable to God one way or another. <laughs> so we might as well just go ahead and uh, come uh, to a good God, a faithful God, a creator God, uh, and that knows us and loves us and has got our best interests in mind and fulfill his will for our life. So sometimes, and I used to think this way, that I could do my thing and do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'd just be unaccountable. God says, no, you'll be accountable one way or another. So anyway, that's what he's saying. Now look at verse 3, okay? Look at verse 3. For we ourselves, Paul identifies himself with this crowd. I like this. I've got bad news and I've got good news. First, I want to tell you the bad news. Verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, that means unwise, disobedient, deceived. The word deceived there means to lead astray and serving divers lust and pleasures. That means we were slaves to lust and pleasures. Living in malice, 
And the word malice means ill will. We were living in malice and envying, covetous, jealous, hateful, and hating one another. The word hating, hateful, and hate, hating is the word that means filled with hate. It's a powerful word, needless to say. But wait a minute, look at verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. You say, Pastor, we're not preaching about Christmas. There's the word right there, appear, epiphany. That means the first appearing of our Lord. That means the word became flesh. There it is right there, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But wait a minute, look back in chapter 3 and verse 4 again. But after that, and uh, for those of you who may not have your Bibles, let me just go ahead and put it up for you. I hope you'll bring your Bible. But after that, the kindness and love of God. You know what that word love is? I looked it up. And because I was interested, I was wondering if it was the word agape. Agape means unconditional. Various words are used in the New Testament to describe the word love. Here the word is philanthropia. Philanthropia. And you know what philanthropia means? It means God's love for mankind. That's the reference to the love of God right here. Philanthropia. It means God's love for all of mankind. And God calls all men everywhere to repent. But keep reading, because he says this, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing. And that washing means the pouring out, the washing of regeneration and renewing, the word regeneration, to quicken, to make alive, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs. Oh, yes, Romeo, heirs, possessors, according to the hope. Elpis is the word for hope. Elpis, the hope of eternal life. God gave the greatest gift of all. He surely did. And so I want to tell you today, uh, as we look at this subject, uh, hope, hope in Jesus. There's bad news and there's good news. I want to tell you some bad news and I want to tell you some good news. First, the bad news. And it reminded me, speaking of bad news, did you hear about the principal? The high school principal was having difficulty with the girls. They were putting lipstick on and kissing the mirror and thus leaving their imprint on the mirror. And the high school principal having difficulty getting them to stop doing that. And so one day the high school principal said, all right, girls, I'm going to need you to come on in the bathroom. So all the girls came in the bathroom. And uh, the principal said, I want you all to see uh, how the janitor, the custodian, is cleaning the bathroom mirror. Show them. And so the janitor got his brush, and he stuck his brush in the commode, and he began to wash the mirror (laughs) with his brush. And needless to say, that stopped the lipstick appearing on the mirror. The bad news, the good news. Did you hear about the two teachers speaking of that? One teacher said to the other, said, I haven't seen you in a while. How you been doing? Said, well, I've been doing pretty good. How you been doing? Said, I've been doing good. Well, what's been going on? Well, I just got married. Well, that's good, said one teacher to the other teacher. Well, it is good, but not always good. It's bad. Why is it bad? Well, it's bad because I married a man that's three times my age. Wow, that's bad. And no, it's not really that bad, said the other teacher, because he's a millionaire plus. Well, that's good, said the other teacher. And the other teacher said, well, that's not all good. It's kind of bad. Well, why is it bad? Because he's stingy with his money. And said, well, that's bad. Said, well, no, it's not all bad because he built me a $25 million house. Said, well, that's good. Said, well, it's not all good because it burned down the other day. Said, well, that's bad. Said, no, it's not all bad because he was in it when it burned down. All right. 
the good news and the bad news. I got good news, I got bad news. And the good news and the bad news, the bad news with this is this, that Paul said he identifies the bad news and the good news. He said, you were disobedient. You were uh, foolish. You were stupid, as it were. I'm using that modern-day term. I want to ask you a question now. Y'all listen to me for a moment. How many would say, I've done some stupid things in my life? Probably most of us has done some stupid things in our life at one point or another. We've done some dumb things. We look back. And Paul is saying, you were disobedient. Uh, we, excuse me, not just you, but we, we've all missed the mark. We've all gone astray. And Paul said, there's none that do it good. No, not one. And therefore, we are, y'all listen, hear, hear what I'm fixing to say. We are all sin-recovering addicts. Whether you want to admit it or not, you might feel like you're super spiritual, but I want to tell you something. The Lord will just show you how ugly our flesh is when we just think we arrive. Hello. I'm telling you, just when you think you've arrived and you've become uh, spiritual, super spiritual, and that you're not tempted anymore by sin, the Lord will show you exactly. He that take his stand, take heed, lest he fall. And so Paul says, we were disobedient. The bad news is that uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6. There's none that do it good. No, not one. That's Romans 3 and verse 10. There's not a just man upon all the earth who doeth good and sinneth not. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. Isaiah chapter 1 says, Man is rotten to the roots. He's corrupt to the core from the top of his head down to the sole of his feet. And the bad news is that we are in desperate need of a relationship with this God. But wait a minute. There's good news in the midst of bad news. And that's what Paul is saying here to Titus in chapter 3, verse 4. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. But after that, the kindness, the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Again, the word appeared is epiphany. God sent forth His Son, the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life, the gift of abundant life. I talked with a man just yesterday. Here's what he told me. He said, man, I'm, I'm discouraged. I said, why are you discouraged? He said, my job, I'm just, uh, I'm just, just down. He said, I, I just can't get motivated. He told me some things that were going on in his job. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today that you've been down about your job. He said, I, I seem like I ought to get a promotion, and then somebody else gets the promotion. He said, I'm just hard-pressed. He said, I think I'm going to quit my job. He'd been working it 15 years. And, and you see, there's a lot of uh, variables that are going on today with people staying discouraged and hopeless, feeling stuck. I'm preaching to somebody today in your marriage. You, you say, well, I feel like I'm stuck. I, I, they'll never change. And somebody said, the only time a woman has succeeded in changing a man was when he was a baby changing his diapers. I believe that uh, as well. And, and the husband speaks, comes out and says, well, she'll never change. This time can be a happy time of the year, and yet it can be a challenging time as well. The good news is that God so loved the world, hallelujah, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, uh, the scripture teaches that Christ died for sins and was buried on the third day. He rose again. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And he was delivered up for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. Yes, Christ died the just for us, the unjust, that he might bring us back to God. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Yes, he had made it to be sin for us 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Yes, God didn't give up on us. I'm glad to tell you today that God's got a plan for you and God's got a purpose for you and that the Lord has a great love for you and we can have hope today and we can have joy today and we can have peace today and we can have fulfillment today and we can have contentment today and we can have victory today. Why? Because our God still is not giving up on us today. Amen. And I say thank you, Lord, for that great hope that we have today. And so I don't know what you're facing today, but I know this. Number one, we can have hope because God gave the greatest gift of all. By the way, you can receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. 2 Corinthians 9 and 15 says, Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, the gift of all gifts. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which we have before ordained, and we should walk in them. Yes, God gave the greatest gift of all, and therefore I say thank you, Lord. What a great gift that was to wash our sins away. As he says right here, look at chapter number uh, th- four, three, look at chapter three, verse six, which he shed upon us, shed the word echo, poured out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then back up to verse five, not by works of righteousness, verse five, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing. The word washing there is lutron. It means to bathe by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'll be honest with you, a lot of people that say they're saved today, I don't think they're really saved. I don't know their heart. There's a lot of people sitting in church today, and they're really not converted. They're just playing church, playing religion. I don't know if you're here today, but maybe you are, and maybe deep down inside, you've just got a form of godliness. Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, there'd be a form of godliness, but would deny the power thereof. And, And Jesus said it this, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 through 23, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and done many wonderful works in thy name, and cast out demons in thy name. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. I'm telling you, if you've been saved today, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God saves us not to live for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again. Because we'll stand, let every one of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we might give an account what we've done in this body, whether it be good or bad. Yes, I want to finish faithful. Yes, We can say there's hope in the Lord no matter what we're going through today. You might be facing some hardship today. You might be going through a trial today. You might be going through a storm today. But God said, I've got my hand on the thermostat. God said, I've named and numbered the hairs on your head. I know when one sparrow falls to the earth. Yes, He's numbered all the stars and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I say thank you, Father. You know our frame. You know we are but dust. 
God said, I'm just, he had one son, oh, without sin, but he never had a son without suffering. I'm telling you, God called us to take up a cross this easy believism that's, uh, that's being perpetrated across the airways in America. It's not biblical. Jesus said, if you really want to follow me, you've got to take up a cross, and there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be pain, and there's going to be rejection, and there's going to be hardship. But through it all, one day, we'll trade in a cross for a crown. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? And so there's hope in the Lord. But wait a minute, there's a second reason that we ought to have hope. Number two is because there's hope because God does not lie. He keeps His promises. Go back to chapter 1 of the book of Titus. Please turn back to chapter 1. And uh, let's look at verse 2. God says, in hope of eternal life, Oh, yes, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I'm so glad to tell you that God's not a man that he should lie. Yes, God is immutable. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. According to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, He's transcendent. He's above all creation. He's a mighty God. Yes, wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And yes, the government of the world is upon His shoulders. Yes, the Lord doesn't lie. Can I tell you what happened to me just last week? I went up to celebrate a graduation at Kennesaw State University. Chase Karen graduated from college last Tuesday. And as I drove up uh, to the place, on the way back, uh, I stopped by. And we were in the need of upgrade on the vehicle. And anyway, I was just go stop by the uh, Honda place up there in uh, Conyers. And I'll not tell you the name of the person anyway. We're talking about God keeping His promises. We're talking about God is not a man that He should lie. Oh, no. He keeps His promises in hope of eternal life. As I went to the car lot, I, I asked the man about a certain particular vehicle, and he said, man, it's in good shape. It's a 2015 model. And he said, man, there's nothing wrong with it. It's got all this and that and the other on it. And as we sat down there together, how many of you have been shopping for a car lately? Amen. Well, you better do your homework, all I can say. Anyway, as I sat down with this young man, I uh, said, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to buy a vehicle unless I see it, all right? <laughs> not only am I going to see it, i got to drive it, all right? Anyway, he said, I'll be right there. It's getting late. They were about ready to close up, and he pulled the vehicle around. He said, come on out here and take a look at it. He said, like I said, it's got all this on it and warranty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when I got to the vehicle right in front of the, uh, the dealership, I opened the door, sat in it, and guess what I saw? I looked out the windshield. There's a big crack in the windshield right there. He didn't tell me anything about the crack in the windshield. I said, what about this crack down here? He said, oh, crack down there? <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is, uh, I'm not saying he did it on purpose, but I'm saying this. God does not lie. He's not a liar. No, he's not. He keeps his promises and all of his promises. In Jesus there, yea, and in him, amen. How many have heard the name Billy Graham? Everybody's heard the name Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was witnessing to a man by the name of Steve McQueen. How many of y'all remember Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen was not saved. He was not ready to meet God. And Billy Graham shared with him this verse right here, chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Titus. And here's what he said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And Billy Graham shared that with Steve McQueen. 
The account says, I can't verify this, but I've read that Steve McQueen died, and when he died, he had, his, he had this open to this passage of Scripture right here, Titus 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, uh, that cannot lie, promised before the foundation of the world, before the world began. I'm telling you, God keeps His promises today. You want to have hope? You want to have joy? You want to have peace? You want to have victory? Just take God at His promises. For example, it was Enoch that believed God. He walked with God, and God took him on home. It was Noah who believed God, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. Abraham didn't stagger at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, knowing what God had promised he was well able to perform. That's Romans chapter 4, verses 17, 18, 19, about Abraham. The promises of God. Will you take God at his promises today? Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, chose rather to be afflicted with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about the promises of God. Will you stand on the promises of God? Not sitting on the premises, standing on the promises. Will you stand on the promises of God today? What kind of promises? Well, Joshua believed the promises of God. God said, you're going to go on into the promised land. Moses is dead. Rise up. Every place your foot shall tread, I've given it unto you. And that's Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody today, including myself, as we look into the new year. And we'll be talking more about that next week. Maybe there's some things God wants to do in your life. Maybe there's an open door for you. Maybe there's some things, but God is going to require some trust on our part, some faith on our part, some exercising that God will not lie. Oh, yes, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He keeps his promises. God does not lie. I'm glad to tell you, God, he is a promise-keeping God. And whatever promise you need, now I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm talking about your life and my life, lining up under the will of God. Then God fulfills his promises. We want God to be a... You know, at our every command, God do this, God do this, and when he doesn't do that and we have hardship, God, you're not fair. And we don't say it, but we act like that. That's the average Christian mindset today, that we use God as some butler boy or use God as some vending machine, put in our money, and, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, and then when anything goes wrong, no, that's not fair. I want to tell you something. We need to go back to the book of Job and read it, amen? We need to go back to the New Testament and read what, who God really is. We've got a misconception of who God is. And we've bought into this easy believism Christianity today that God wants uh, everything and never hardship, never trouble, never uh, challenges or trials in our life. It's just not biblical. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Peter said it this way. 1 Peter 4, 16. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Some strange thing happened unto you. Rejoice in as much as you're partakers of Christ's suffering. God called us to suffer. Yes, Jesus, he set the way. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. I want to tell you something. That won't sell a lot of books, and it won't make a lot of movies, but it's Bible. And the reason a lot of preachers and teachers aren't saying it today is because it's not popular. 
People don't want to hear about suffering. People don't want to hear about hardship. People don't want to hear about affliction. We just want to hear good things. But if we're not careful, we can get a distorted view of who God is and the will of God for our life. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm talking about. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's unfolding of who He is, how He dealt with humanity. Jesus, 33 years old, He suffered and bled and died. What makes you think you and I are any better? But wait a minute, Romans 8, 32. Paul said that uh, Christ, God spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How should He not freely give us all things? The good news is that God said, I'm going to be with you when you go through the trial. I'm going to be with you when you're in the hardship. I'm going to do more in your life. I'm going to conform you to my image. And God says, you can't be entrusted with more in, in this spiritual realm until you get some spiritual substance in you. You've got to have some spiritual fortitude in you. You've got to go through some trials. You've got to strengthen that faith. And when all said and done, I'll make you a better blessing and I'll give you more influence when I carry you through the troubles. Yes, I'm about to preach right there. When I when, when you walk through the valley, I'll be with you. When you're facing giants, I'm going to be with you. When you're in the midst of the storm, God said, I'll be there to calm the storm. I'll carry you out of the storm, help you walk on the water. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you no matter what because I'm God. And i got a purpose for you. And i got a plan for you. And you can trust me today because I've got your life in the palm of my hand. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, bless the Lord. Yes, amen. So, and so, what about number three? There's hope not only because God gave the greatest gift of all, eternal life, abundant life, and there's hope because God does not lie, but He keeps His promises. Number three, there's hope because God has promised His Son will come again. Check out chapter 2. Look over in chapter 2, verses 11 following. I pray that God will strengthen you today. I really do. I pray the Lord will help you and me to overcome our discouragement, our despondency, our depression, our setbacks will come setups for comebacks, that we see the big overall picture, the bird's eye view, uh, that we see the forest. We're not too close to the trees. We can see, yes, God, you've got all this stuff orchestrating for my good. Because all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and to them that are called according to His purpose. Titus 2, verse 11 following. For the grace of God, notice, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared, there's that word again, hath appeared to all men. Epiphania. And the word epiphania is hath appeared. Yes, uh, His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Hath appeared. And God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And Paul said it this way, Galatians 4, 8, 19, that Christ be formed in you like a woman that travails in labor. That's God's desire that Christ be formed in us, in us, working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, learning to trust in him. Oh, yes, learning to depend upon him as our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Keep reading now. The grace of God, the grace of God. Thank God for his grace. Yes, the grace of God. God doing for us what we don't deserve. The grace chorus. The word grace. The grace of theos. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. Soterios. The word salvation can be past tense, regeneration, present tense, sanctification, future tense, 
glorification. It consists of all three tenses, regeneration and justification and sanctification, etc. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Look at this, verse 12, teaching us. The word teaching means instructing us. And people use the grace of God and say, I'm, I'm under grace. I can live any way I want to. That's disgrace, my brother. That's disgrace, my sister. Grace sanctifies us. Paul said that in Romans 6.1. What should we see then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live it on their end? People say, I'm under, I'm under grace. I can live like I want to. Uh-uh. You're misunderstanding the Bible. Sorry. Grace, look what grace teaches us. Verse 12. Teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly. It didn't say perfect, but it says soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, and he might redeem us from all of our iniquities, purifying himself, a peculiar people zealous of good works. Here's the bottom line. There's hope because, watch, God has promised to send his son. I want to give you three looks before I close the message. Three looks. Here they are. We ought to look up, number one. Secondly, we'll look in. Thirdly, we'll look out. First, look up. Paul said, the grace of God that brings salvation, notice, looking for that blessed hope. Are you looking for the Lord to come back again? This could be the day. Today might be the day. Oh, yes, we could hear the trumpet sound. We could see the dead in Christ rise first. And those of us that are alive and remain caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Looking up, but then looking in. Hey, Nancy, have you heard that name William Dix, D-I-X? Does that ring a bell? 1865 ring a bell. Do you know what William Dix did? He was 29 years old. He was dying, really. He was sick. He was on a sick bed. But you know, during that middle of the storm, I said in the midst of his suffering, in, in, in the uh, crucible of life, you know what he did? He sat down and he wrote a hymn. You know what the hymn was? What child is this? Do you know that? 29 years old. He wrote a hymn, William Dix, it's recorded. But it was during a time of suffering and hardship he was going through. Oh, there's hope. No doubt that, that has blessed uh, my heart, your heart, no telling how many more throughout the years. Look up, look in, but then look out. He might redeem us from all iniquity, purify himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know what that word zealous is? It's the word boiling over. Are you a cold-hearted Christian, are you hot-hearted? I mean, do you have a vision to reach people? Uh, do you have a desire to grow spiritually? Uh, do you really want to draw near to God? Do you confess your sins when you know that there's something wrong between you and God? Maybe today you need to deal with some confession of sin in your life. Maybe today you're here today, and maybe today you need hope in the Lord. You don't really have hope of eternal life, and God's saying to you today, if you died, you're going to stand before God, you can stand before God. Are you ready? Are you ready? You can have hope today. There's hope in Jesus. Yes, I'm glad to tell you there's hope in Jesus. Would you stand today?